Hey guys, welcome to the Let's Get To It podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Hamilton, and I'm so glad you're here. We are going to talk to people from all different walks of life about faith, family, and friendship. All right, let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome to a special episode of Let's Get To It. Today, we are having a really important conversation about mental health. My guest is Dr. Gregory Jantz. He's worked in the mental health field for over 30 years and has released two books this year. The first is So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide. The second is The Anxiety Reset. Both of these are incredible resources that I hope you will spend time checking out and reading. Today, Dr. Jantz speaks to the significant increase in depression, anxiety, and suicide, and how we can hope in the midst of mental health issues. All right, guys, let's get to it. I want to welcome to the show my very special guest, Dr. Gregory Jantz. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it is good to be with you. And do we ever have an important topic? We do. We have a very important topic and a very hard topic to get to. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Um, We are going to be talking about mental health, specifically anxiety and suicide. First, tell me a little bit about your background and your work in the mental health field. Yeah, we're celebrating uh, 38 years of working in the mental health field. Just finished uh, the suicide book, and I know it's a hard topic, uh, represented, uh, I believe, my 40th book. So I founded a place called The Center, a place of hope. We're a facility that's known for our work with depression and anxiety. We work with folks from all over the country who come in really uniquely because of the whole person approach that we began to incorporate uh, incorporate. So the care is a little different, a little more personalized, and mm-hmm. we are still passionate about the work we do. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Well, the work you do is so important. And I know that even before COVID hit, you were tracking the increase of anxiety in your patients. So tell me a little bit, what did the pandemic do to our mental health? Well, I believe we're at the tip of the iceberg uh, as we look at this because uh, we're going to see really a mental health. uh, We're in an epidemic of mental health issues. Uh, Pandemic would be uh, huge, and that's what I believe is yet to come. The depression levels uh, are Mm -hmm. significant. What we've seen happen to our kids uh, is also very significant. Um, And living in a time of uncertainty I mean, every day there's some other news that throws people off. This anxiety has become paralyzing. And so we're seeing high levels of anxiety disorder. Uh, We're seeing uh, folks show up at sometimes emergency rooms, uh, not with COVID, but with something that's being coined COVID psychosis, Mm. meaning that they're overwhelmed emotionally. Uh, because of everything that a person has been going through. The third area is addictions. Addictions are skyrocketing. Alcohol sells are at all-time highs. Uh, So as people get anxious and depressed, they tend to go towards addictive behaviors, which creates a greater problem. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that um, I recently had my annual physical with my, you know, general practitioner. Yes. And in the past, the question has been, do you consume alcohol? This right. year, the question changed. And it, she asked, how much alcohol oh are you consuming? <laughs> and I found, yeah. and I stopped and I said, 
now that's a different way to ask yeah. a question. Tell me about that. And it was that very thing that you're speaking to is that people are looking to, to try to cope with this anxiety and with the world we're living in. Many people are pushed over the edge where they feel great despair. And so if you will, they look for a way to self-medicate. Yeah. And we know that that's a very short term, uh, it's not even a solution, but it's a short term. And then they realize that, wow, the alcohol is creating more depression and more anxiety, but they're trapped in the cycle of addiction. So we are seeing that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just using alcohol. There's other addictions. We can say food addiction, Absolutely. prescription drug addiction, anything related to addictive behavior uh, certainly is um, at all time highs for people. Yeah, absolutely. Now you have released two books this year. Um, both of them are extremely timely. The first one is The Anxiety Reset, a life-changing approach to overcoming fear, stress, worry, panic attacks, OCD, and more. And the second is So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide. Um, Both of these books I found extremely helpful, and I've actually been able to utilize um, and encourage others that I've been Mm. speaking to to go and read them. So very timely. Um, In your book, So Much to Live For, you give the statistic that in 2019, 12 million adults seriously considered suicide, 3.5 million made a plan. 1.4 million made an attempt. 54% of the people who committed suicide did not have a known mental health disorder. I found that last statistic very um, powerful. So can you speak to that last statistic and the myth that suicide is always um, connected to a mental health issue? Absolutely. Uh, We know that a person can reach a point of saturation and inability to cope and they they slide over into this despair and this despondency, and that's the place where a person will consider taking their life. Well, many individuals, and there's two age groups we need to look at. There's the 12 to 17-year-old age range, and uh, we know that suicide um, is the second leading cause of death for that mm. age group, so 12 to 17. And then on the other spectrum of ages, we're seeing more men about age 50 and above who are committing suicide. So uh, these, anytime a person takes their life or finds himself at that place, it's it's of great concern. And everybody knows somebody or you're, you know somebody not far from your inner circle who has committed suicide. It's, it's touched all of us. Yeah, it has. It really has. What are some of the other, I know you you hit on it a little bit with the pandemic, but what are some of the other dis- key factors that are distressing, that are affecting our society and leading people to contemplate um, suicide, to make a plan and to attempt suicide? Well, there's a sense of hopelessness about one's future. And with that comes a sense of helplessness. So it's like my coping mechanisms, even though they're maybe self-destructive, like alcohol, everything I've tried has not worked. And then I began to alter it because anxiety begins to distort reality. Anxiety puts us at times maybe in a paranoid state. And Mm -hmm. and we find ourselves isolated. We find ourselves um, with great apathy. Nothing matters. Our life doesn't matter. And so... 
those are kind of dangerous places to stay. Um, we know that uh, folks who are considering suicide sometimes make a decision and then suddenly they feel a sense of relief in such an odd mm. way. But then uh, they'll almost seem like they're getting better. They've, mm. And at times we can really be fooled by this process. Um, there is that decision making that this is the only way out. And once they've made that decision, they feel a sense of relief. And I, and I know a lot of times when we come across some a situation, we go, well, what could I have done or what did I miss? And at times, this is why it's so important to know that a person who made a decision to suicide was a decision they made, but it leaves us all in such a shocked and stunned place because we'd ask, well, what, what could I have done? Mm -hmm. um, so suicide has a real ripple effect uh, in the lives of others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It does. So one of the other myths that you talk about in your book and really dispel is conversations surrounding suicide. Yeah. So you kind of talk about how having conversations don't actually encourage someone to, to contemplate suicide, but it actually can bring relief. So I have two questions. The first is, you know, what are some warning signs that a conversation actually needs to be had with a friend or a family member? And then the second, can you give some practical tips of how someone can actually start that conversation? Sure. Well, it's one conversation to have with somebody that can be so awkward and just to get the word suicide or have you thought about hurting yourself? Those are not things that you say every day in a conversation. They're they're awkward. Yeah. But we need to be very courageous and at times just brave and we need to ask the questions. So if we see a person, they've isolated, their self-care is diminished, they're not doing basic hygiene, and we see that um, they're really escapism um, and they've disconnected from uh, life or from social connections. And that's a, a moment of concern. Now, there's times where a person may be just depressed and, and they don't have a plan to take their life. Um, and we still need to have a conversation. And the conversation may go like, um, I really care about you and I notice that you're struggling. Can you tell me more about that? And listen, a person who is uh, on the edge of suicide or has some suicidal thinking, uh, they need us to really listen to them. So ask that open-ended question and listen. Mm -hmm. And the follow-up question really could be, and at times needs to be, have you ever thought about harming yourself or hurting yourself or taking your life? Now, that's a yes or no question. The first question we asked was open-ended. Um, we really uh, know that when you bring this up, you, you're not giving them ideas. In fact, you could be saving their life. So ask the question. Mm -hmm. And then the third step really is, how do I get them uh, the help or the resources they need? Uh, we never want to be alone in these situations. In other words, uh, carrying the, the burden entirely on our own. Uh, we want to help be a part of the solution and get the person to somebody that can be of help to them. And mm -hmm. at times, that's a little bit of challenging. Um, and, you know, you may say, um, can I help um, locate uh, somebody that could help 
help you? And so you're asking those questions. Um, and then we always want to follow up. Kind of the final step is following up and checking back in. Person who's uh, agreed to get help and they are getting help, but follow up. Uh, we want to follow up with them. Uh, not that we're the one to, to give them all the solution. At times it could be, well, can I pray for you? At times it could be, well, what is it you may need or what do you need? You know, even bringing a meal or food to somebody is pretty powerful. Mm, that's really good. What about for younger children? I know we're seeing in, in young kids, ad- early adolescents, this increase in um anxiety, depression, suicidal ideations. What are, are the warning signs different for a younger child that we need to step in and have these conversations with? Yes. For kids, they're, you're younger and, you know, the, the 12, 17, approximately in that age group, uh, we're going to probably see a lot of uh, influence of social media. Mm-hmm. So what are they engaged with? Who are they engaged with? And importantly, we know that the more time they spend in that social media, um, the worse they feel about themselves. Mm, yes. <laughs> social media is not where you go to have your self-esteem really raised. Okay. Yes, uh, right. And so that adds to it. But one of the factors that so often is happening is cyber bully behavior. Mm. So that cyber behavior of, of bully, um, and we know that for a kid that that can over over time really add up to a sense of I'm worthless. Nobody likes me. And so they can really go down this, this path of, of feeling like they have no value and there's no reason to live. Mm. Uh, Tragically, there are uh, those that uh, taunt um, in a bully fashion, you know, why don't you just kill yourself? And mm-hmm. there are those kinds of things that are going on. Yeah. What would your recommendation be for parents? How, what would you encourage parents to do? Is it monitoring a child's social media? Is it limiting a child's social media? What are some practical steps that a child, uh, that a parent can do to be preventative in this? Depending on their age, it is, we need to have guardrails. In other words, uh, how much time we're allowing, depending on the age, uh, what are we allowing? And I think those are conversations that that we want to uh, have. Now, kids are smart. Kids will hide things, you know. Right. Uh, and I get that. But always keep social media an open conversation. Uh, not that you're uh, going to sound like you're punishing or, or judging, but really to – uh, talk with them about uh, who they're talking with. What are, what are the you know what are the apps they're using? Um, really, just to enter into their world and and um, you know even asking the question of uh, a thirteen year old: Are there some things that um, have ever concerned you? Are there things that you've seen? Is there somebody that um, that's been hurtful online? Just asking questions, keeping an open dialogue. I think it's really important. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, I think sometimes for those younger adolescents, um, dialogue in general can be challenging to get them to participate in that. Sure. But sometimes just, they're very short answers. So I know it's a challenge. Right. Yes and no. That seems to be it. Yeah. Yet, if we maybe if we are continually pursuing and initiating these conversations, the one time that they do say, yes, I have been bullied can be such a... Um, 
a time of healing, a time yeah. of action, a time that could save their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. When do we need to help someone get more help than just speaking to a friend or a loved one? What's the next step? Um, when do we say, hey, we need to you know, really get a professional in here? Um, how does someone know when they need to take a loved one or a friend to see a professional counselor, therapist, or, or a doctor? Sure. Well, I always began with the phrase, I love and care about you so much. Um, can I help uh, locate somebody that uh, could really be helpful to you? Can I be a part of uh, helping you find? Are, and, and sometimes it's, are you talking to anybody else about what you're feeling? Uh, so gathering some information from them and then really sincerely following through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a professional or a therapist that uh, is going to be maybe working with the younger ages might be different than a person that's working with those that are 30 and above, for example. So we need to find the right resources. And I think right now, at times, that is a challenge. Mental health uh, professionals many times are um, real busy. And we find people uh, contacting us from all over the country who are looking for help and really struggling to find the right help. And I want to acknowledge that mm-hmm. sometimes it is a challenge to get the right help. But let's stay with it because um, there can be opportunities that open up, you know, that uh, times seem miraculous. So let's stay with it and mm-hmm. get the help that is needed. That's really good. And I think that's a um, a good expectation to, to put on our friends and family members that say, hey, we may make a couple phone calls and, they, and they're not taking new clients, but we are going to keep, let's mm-hmm. stick with it. Let's be encouraged. Know that we will find you someone. So maybe that's a good expectation to have. Because I know um, for, for us, we have had so many friends and family that we have referred to local counselors and they're not taking new clients. Right, right. And so I think it is good to say, hey, it's okay if you get a no. It's okay. Keep going. Yeah. We're going to find you someone. Yeah. And sometimes people need more intense help um, where maybe addiction has been going on secretly for a while. Maybe mm-hmm. the uh, despondency and the depression is pretty significant and they may need something uh, even greater than what we call outpatient, uh, more intensive type help. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's also why we maintain a, a resource directory of, of resources around the country besides ourselves, because we know uh, that there's times where a person needs really, it's, it's an intensive uh, situation and they need to get out of their environment that they're in. Uh, so they can make some changes. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. One of the things I love about both of your books is that you do offer hope. Um, in the midst of this very hard conversation, you always turn back to to hope. So tell me, what are some of the reasons that we have to hope in the midst of depression, anxiety, suicide, all the mental health issues going on? What are some reasons to hope today? Well, we see people's lives change, and, and we do see, uh, and part of what keeps me going is I see people's lives change. That's that's yeah. exciting. That's why I've been able to do the work we do for the last 38 years. I do see lives change. Yeah. So, But it's getting the right help. You know, a person who may be um, suffering from depression, there could be not only chemical imbalances that need to be addressed, there could be... Well, maybe there's a medical issue. Maybe there's a, 
you know, a person that's got a thyroid issue may find themselves uh, with a lot of anxiety and depression. So we kind of have to cover all the bases. That's why we use the term whole person. Mm. There is, and I firmly believe, reason why there's hope is uh, there is solutions, and sometimes it's more than just one piece of the puzzle that's missing. Um, but we need to put together a plan for long-term healing. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. I appreciate that. Um, how has faith, how have you integrated faith into providing hope and healing for the whole person? Yes. So we know that part of the design of the whole person, we have our emotional side, we have our physical side, which uh, includes medical issues, nutrition, you know, what we put in our mouth does matter. Yes. Uh, exercise or lack of exercise. We have faith. What are those things we believe um, about God or uh, what do we question? And so we find that when we're open just to address those questions um, and keeping those conversations uh, a part of the care, because um, that's a faith or um, the whole aspect of what you believe or don't believe uh, can be an important part of your healing and recovery. So mm -hmm. that's a foundation that we work from. And uh, we do believe uh, that um, there is healing and that we have a hope and we have a future. And we take that from Old Testament verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm. God promises a hope and a future. The future is good. Yes, that's so good. I love that. I want to ask you one more question about anxiety going on, uh, going back to the anxiety reset book. If someone is experiencing, you know, in the middle of the day, this increased anxiety, um, a panic attack, if you will, what are some things that they can do in that moment to maybe regulate their brain a little bit, bring that down in order that they can then maybe go and seek some other help, be a professional or, or whatnot? What are some things sure. in that minute that they can do? Well, one of the things we need to look at oftentimes is if you're feeling that sense of panic or that wave of anxiety that hits you, change your environment. Mm -hmm. Go outside. Go mm -hmm. for a 20-minute walk. Uh, drink water. Begin to change your environment. Maybe it's uh, on an old-fashioned three-by-five card. You're going to write down uh, a an affirmation or a verse that's powerful and you're going to go outside and walk and say that out loud. I would just want you to change your environment and mix it with movement. When you're anxious, by the way, I mentioned water people, when they're anxious tend not to drink enough water. It's very interesting. They'll drink a lot of other things, but usually not enough water. Water is so important. Uh, improves concentration, uh, helps us regulate mood. So drink your water. That's fantastic. That's amazing. That's incredible um, how powerful water really is to the brain. What does water do? What does water do to the brain to help it? Well, water does a number of things, not just to the brain, but in our body. Um, but water helps uh, improve the production of some of those key neurotransmitters, one called serotonin, which has a lot to do with mood and sleep. Another one, uh, a chemical in the brain, is called dopamine. And it has to do with, at times, uh, uh, mood or a sense of well-being. So there's some important chemicals that need to have enough water 
to be manufactured and to work. So mm-hmm. water, just drink your water. It's good. Just for you. drink your water. It's good for your body. It's very good for you. There you go. <laughs> That's really wonderful though. And I love uh, the encouragement to change your environment, to remove yourself from that moment of panic yeah. physically, to move your body through the emotion of what you're feeling, drink some water, get your body regulated, and then maybe take a step forward to seek some further help. Yes. Dr. Jance, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. Good to be with you. And uh, I do want to say there is hope. There are those who are mm-hmm. struggling. And uh, it's hard to believe at times that there's there's hope. Um, but I want you to know I do see lives healed, lives transformed. There is hope. I love that. How can our listeners connect with you? Where can they find you online? Easiest is just go to aplaceofhope.com. Aplaceofhope.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today. You are welcome. I hope today's conversation was both informative and encouraging. If you're struggling with suicidal ideations, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Call 800-273-8255. Again, that's 800-273-8255. You are not alone and help is available. If you're struggling with any mental health issues, please reach out to a friend, a family member, or a local licensed therapist. There is help and hope. I'll see you next time.